I am so grateful um, to be here. Uh, it has been a journey uh, for you as a church, and uh, it has been fun for Kelly and I to be a part of it uh, in heart and spirit um, from across the nation. Um, I remember the first time I met Chris. I've told this story before, but um, my wife and I were engaged at the time. Um, I went back to her uh, terrible little hometown of Roswell, New Mexico, and uh, She's like, you know, the town's terrible, but you got to meet Chris and Jody. And thank God Chris and Jody saved Roswell for me. Um, but we went over, and Kelly's like, we're just going to stop in for like 30 minutes. I just want you to meet them. We got lots to do. I'm like, great, great, great. I think we were there for four or five hours um, just talking about ministry and life and loving Jesus and who he is and what he's done in our life. And so uh, we, we love Chris and Jody. And you guys are, I know you know this, but you're very blessed um, to have them. Um, I want to say congrats on Heart for the House. Come on now. Uh, Man, I couldn't be more proud of you guys. 12 years in the making. I don't know how many hours I have driven around Jacksonville with Pastor Chris looking at random pieces of property. And if you know Chris, like he can make Disneyland show up in a parking lot with his words. And he's just like right here and you can see it. And over there we're going to have, you know, amusement park for the kids. And it's just going to be, I'm like, all right, Chris, we're going to get there, man. But man, we drove by this morning and like my heart was stirred about what God's going to do in this city. And so for a decade plus, you guys have been holding space in this city for people to encounter Jesus. And um, I just feel like the Lord is honoring that. Um, And for all the hours of set up and tear down and set up and tear down and set up and tear down so that the gospel can be preached, man, um, I just honor you as a faith family. Man, your your journey uh, is not one without reward. Um, and so I'm excited. So uh, you guys are entering a new season. We, uh, as a family, have entered a new season. I think I got a picture. I always bring a picture. Um, we, I don't, can you see that? I can't see that. When, when you uh, have a kid, you're like, man, this is awesome. When you have two kids, you're like, this is great. When you have twins, you re-up your salvation. And uh, we, we, like, in a whirlwind the last week have entered a new season of life. So uh, last weekend, I spent all weekend building beds at our house because our twins had figured out how to crawl out of their cribs, okay? And we, we did the, like, we lowered these things all the way to the floor. Like, we, they were not attached to the cribs anymore. Like, the mattress was on the floor. And these two little daredevils are, like, crawling out. Uh, I mean, it was wild. And so Kelly and I were having this conversation. It was a really quick progression of, like, hey, I think they're getting too big for their cribs to... Oh my gosh, there's a head sneaking in our door in the middle of the night. Like, who is that? To, okay, we've got to do big kid beds too. Now we've got a boy's room and a girl's room. And in the same week, you know, I'm like melting down. A week and a half ago with my friends, I'm like, guys, I'm getting old. I don't know what we're doing. There's no more cribs in my house. I like, I don't know how to be this dad. I was freaking out. And like three days later, Chris is like, oh, by the way, do you and Kelly want to like fly? out to Jacksonville. This is our first trip together as a couple, like doing ministry, just the two of us in nine years. And so um, I'm like, sure, why not? You know, like we've, 
moved beds, we're out of, I mean, what's, what's traveling across the country? You know, like, we'll just add that. So I'm catching up a little bit. So um, Pastor Chris asked me last week, hey, I just want you to, like, come and share, like, what's on your heart? Like, what is God stirring? And um, I've told him, I've told lots of people, um, this feels like one of the most interesting messages I've put together, okay? Because um, I feel the Lord stirring some things in my life personally, um, that are, are, are representative of some things happening on a much larger scale uh, in the local church. And so I want to share a message today entitled, End to Begin. End to Begin. And so next week, millions and millions, if not billions of people around the world, without knowing it, are going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. You think about that. Millions and millions of people are celebrating a day that we know to be the marker of Christ's birth, right? His coming. And, and what's even wilder is that those billions of people all month, and maybe for several months, if you're like some people I know, they celebrate, start celebrating Christmas in like September. They're like ready. Christmas lights up. In, in Lubbock, I don't know if you guys have these in our house. We moved into our house, and we're, like, going through testing all the switches, right? Oh, you got, like, this light. My parents are older. They, they have, like, written, like, titles on all of their light switches. Like, they got, like, one of those, like, label makers, and it was a bad day. My dad just went through the house and labeled every light switch. But we're testing them, and I found one that, like, didn't do anything. I'm like, what in the world is this switch? So I asked somebody, I'm like, hey, what? I got this switch by my front door. What is this? He goes, ah, it's the elf switch. I'm like, the elf switch? Say more about this. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Walks me out, and on the side of my house, there's a plug for your Christmas light. And the switch inside turns it on. Brilliant, right? All of his dads who are like timers and trying to figure out, switch. Just hit this. Anyway, sorry. So... People all over the world have been living with expectation for Christmas, right? They've been looking forward to a day. They've been modeling to the world that within us as humans, there's this propensity to hope. We are made to be people who hope, who live with expectation. And for many of them, it's the promise of maybe a gift, or a day off from work, or a couple of days off from work, or the promise of seeing family, right, we haven't seen all year, um, or, or the concern of seeing family we haven't seen all year. Um, but Christmas represents the promise of a hope fulfilled, right? And we realize that day as being Jesus' birth, that for centuries the Jewish people lived with expectation and hope that a Messiah would come that he would free them, that he would right all the wrongs, that he would establish his kingdom on the earth. And so for centuries, the Jewish people lived with this expectation. And every year, humanity, without knowing it, models to the world again this expectation, this hope, right? And the birth of Jesus was a massive moment in human history. Um, And one thing that Jesus' birth signaled was the end. Jesus' birth really was a signaling of the end. Uh, The end of the law being the only way to know God. For the Jewish people, that was massive. Uh, The end to 
hundreds of years of practicing the law and the sacrificial system. Uh, it ended the performance-based system of righteousness. That like Paul says in Ephesians, that you've been saved by grace, not by works, lest any of you boast, right? Jesus' birth took away this performance-based righteousness. Uh, it was the end of a 400-year stretch of silence that no prophet had heard from the Lord and spoken to God's people on behalf of God. 400 years. It was the end of the division between the groups of people who could know God, the Jews, and those who could not, the Gentiles. Jesus' birth literally made a way for the rest of humanity to have access to God. That's powerful. It was also the end, mark the end of sin's reign over our lives. It was the end of a beginning, right? And Jesus' coming, it was the ending in order to begin, right? Because Jesus came, he began to teach this idea of the kingdom, of what it meant to bring heaven to earth, how to live as people in the kingdom as we go about our every day. Jesus, uh, his birth, I'm, I'm uniquely reminded this year that his birth was also the beginning of the end. It was the end, which signaled a beginning, but it was also the beginning of the end, that Jesus coming to earth was part of God's plan to redeem humanity, that he knew, God knew that before time began that Jesus would ultimately come to redeem humanity. It signaled the beginning, right? It was like the countdown timer to the end of the world. Merry Christmas. The end is coming. Ah! Right? We don't talk about it, but it's true, right? I, I was having a conversation this week about the dark side of Christmas. There, there is, like for us as believers, there's some truths about Christmas that are a little, oh, they're painful. That like ultimately Jesus' birth was like the countdown to the end of the world started, like click. And there's such hope in that, right? For us as believers, there's a hope in this that like it means that we're moving closer and closer daily to the moment we get to stand before the Father face to face. To declare with all nations and tribes and every tongue that he is holy. Jesus talked about this in lots of places, but one of them in Matthew 24, verse 1, he says, Jesus left the temple and was walking when his disciples came up to him and called his attention to this unique building. And Jesus said, do you see all these things? He asked, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So quite literally, the first Christmas is like mile marker one on our way to the end of the world. Some of you are like, why is this guy preaching about the end times a week before Christmas? I'm not going there, I promise, right? So it's this promise that, at, that Jesus came to restore humanity to right relationship with the Father. It's a powerful moment, right? And as we kind of look ahead towards Christmas next week, I, I want to share maybe some things for us to jot down and come back and process between Christmas, between today and the beginning of the new year, okay? 
So end to begin, I, I want to give us a couple things. The last few weeks have been a little wild for me. I'm not a dreamer. Anybody in here a dreamer? Like you have vivid dreams. Okay, a couple of you. Um, this creeps me out. I'm just letting you know. I had a dream uh, two weeks ago that was so vivid. It was, a, it was a Wednesday morning, and I remember waking up in a panic because in my dream I sent a text to somebody that I did not want to send in real life. I mean, I was like, ah! <laughs> I was like, grabbed my phone at like four in the morning and was like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. I'm like, where is this at? It's got to be in here. And I was like, whoo, like I got to the gym and my buddy was like, you all right? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I need to process what just happened in not real life, but felt like real life. He's like, okay, right? And so like, I want to share a couple things that have really challenged me. The first is this, right? A couple just like, I have six points, which if you're a good Baptist, that's three too many. Um, I got six points this morning, and they're, they're just little catchphrases. Um, the first one is this, don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Um, a year ago, I had a friend of mine, he, he texted me, and he invited me to play Ultimate Frisbee. Now, Ultimate Frisbee is like for people who aren't really good at soccer, they're not really good at football, and they're not really good at Frisbee. They made a game where they do all of them marginally, and they called it Ultimate Frisbee, which I love because I am that guy. So I'm like, yeah, man, I'll come play. And what happened is like 40 dudes showed up. I'm like, okay. So we played a game, and we got done, and we're like hanging out, praying together, just laughing. And um, somebody's like, hey, man, like if we did this next week, I would show up. And like... Many of you know this, but like three years ago, I kind of stepped into a season out of full-time ministry, and one of the things that my wife and I felt like the Lord was calling us to was to gather men to build community. And so it was like just the nudge of the Holy Spirit in the moment of like, oh, yeah, like I'll own this. Like, yeah, we can do this. So next week we'll play again. So every week for a year, every Tuesday morning at 530 in the morning, we've been playing Ultimate Frisbee. Rain or shine, two inches of snow, Great memories, lightning storms, just being stupid junior high boys all over again every week. And I have had some great moments. I've also hobbled in the door, and Kelly's been like, oh, we went too hard today. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I'm, yeah, like my hip's out of place. I didn't know you could do that this young. And just there's pieces of me that are creaking, right? But about six weeks ago, I found myself on a Monday afternoon just dreading going to play Ultimate Frisbee. Just hating it. And Tuesday I got up and I went and played and like I kind of had a bad attitude and go another week. And again, like Monday rolled around and I was like, I don't want to go play Ultimate Frisbee. And this went on for three or four weeks. And finally, like my attitude, like one of my best friends was like, dude, you don't want to be here. I'm like, I, I mean, I do, but yeah, like I don't. I don't know what's going on. And as I like settled in one morning and just asked the Lord, like, why is it that I'm not enjoying this? And the Lord, like, so gracious. I don't, he probably talks really sweet to you, but to me, he's just really honest. And he just so graciously said, like, well, yeah, you're not supposed to do it anymore. What do you mean I'm not supposed to do it anymore? I failed to realize he was changing and asking me to do something different in this season. But I was too busy doing the thing that he had said in a previous season. 
I was too busy doing the thing he had asked me in a previous season that I was about to miss the invitation to spend time with him and encounter him in a new way. The Pharisees and Sadducees missed Jesus because they refused to think about and understand that anything but the law was possible to know God. And so Jesus' birth literally was this marker, and it shifted. And it didn't say, Jesus never said, the law is terrible, it's no good. He just said, I fulfilled the law, now we're in a new season. And I think sometimes we can get so consumed with maintaining and doing the thing that God said in one season that we miss him in this season. And for me, like, it just started to show up in my attitude. There wasn't a joy about, like, like the presence of the Lord. And I know some of you are like, can the presence of God show up at Ultimate Frisbee? Yes. And for me, like, the, the, the cloud had moved, so to speak. Old Testament, right? The cloud had moved. And um, Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 39. He said, you, he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and to have life. In this season, in our lives, I don't, wanna, I don't want us, I don't want me to hang on to traditions or ways of doing things or the way that God has done in previous generations or previous methods and models of church that we get so attached to them that we miss Jesus. I don't want us to miss Jesus. And I just felt like, and it's a word for you guys, as you like set your sights on the horizon, I don't want you to miss Jesus. He's going to ask you to do new things in this season. He's going to ask you, and he's going to embolden you, and he's going he's to call you and invite you into a journey. And it's going to feel a little scary. But I don't want to miss Jesus, right? So how do, how do I do this? Real practically for me, it's like I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be flexible. Flexible things bend, rigid things break. Rigid things break, flexible things bend. Um, this is not in my notes, and so don't get frustrated here, but my dad was an EMT for 23 years. He was a firefighter. And uh, like, I got my EMT license um, and, and was working on an ambulance service for a while, and um, I was fascinated by the fact that whenever we would work um, drunk driving incidents, that so often a drunk driver had minimal injuries after a, a big wreck. And I asked them, like, hey, what is this? And they actually have done studies, and they found that drunk drivers, because they're cognizantly not aware, they don't tense up before a crash. And so what happens is literally, like, they, they don't brace for impact. So when you brace for impact, people are having, like, broken bones and femurs, and they're, like, trying to stop. And drunk drivers, they're just out of it. Just, they just go wherever the car wants them to go. And so I, I know that's maybe not, like, a great biblical reference, but I'm trying to think, like, I don't want to be somebody who breaks in a season when the Lord wants me to bend. I don't, I don't want maybe the shifting or the impact of a new season to break me. I want to bend with it, right? So don't miss Jesus. The second thing, uh, the second phrase is this, tend, T-E-N-D, tend the well. Tend the well. Uh, I started in my new seat uh, six months ago in June, seven months ago. Uh, Kelly and I have been at Turning Point for the last two, two and a half years or so. Um, it's the first church we ever picked. Not, not, we have gone to churches that we have worked at. Um, and so it was, a, it was a new experience for us. 
And when I came on staff, I would walk by our, like, our well house on our property um, frequently. And there was, like, it was like Florida was trying to, like, grow in West Texas. It was just swampy. And when you say swampy, there are alligators and, like, weird things that live in there. It's not a thing in West Texas. Um, Nevertheless, a large body of water catches attention for somebody who never sees them. So I would walk by this puddle, and I'm like, that's weird. That's out of place. Like, what is this? And so I, I started to dig into it, and I'm like, oh, like, the, the well is, is leaking. Like, there's some pipes that are, like, we just have water. Standing water is not a good thing. And so I, we, we called out plumbers. We called out well people. We called out sick people. I'm just kidding. That was, that was a bad joke. Anyway, um, finally, in all of this, like, we, we find out, oh, the filters are bad. Okay, so we changed out the filters. And then we found out there's this little piece. It's, like, this big. And it, and it has a diaphragm in it that, like, fluctuates as the, as the well turns on and off, right? And it went out, and it was bad. I'm like, okay, it's got to be it. So they replace it. And sure enough, no more swamp people. It was great. And then, like, two weeks later, swamp people are back. I'm like, God. So we go through this process again. Oh, yeah, sure enough, this little diaphragm is, is out again. So I asked the question, like, is that normal? I don't feel like that's normal. No, that's not normal. Something is destroying this. I'm like, there are swamp things in the swamp water. So I called out a buddy when I did construction. I said, dude, I've got a well. You're the only, like, well pump drilling guy I know. Can you please come look at this? He's like, yeah, and he's like an old, crusty guy. Just salt of the earth, West Texan, right? Just drool coming down, full of Levi Garrett, just my kind of people, right? And he's like, yeah, you got sand in your pipes. I'm like, I don't know what that means. We got sand everywhere in West Texas. Like, doesn't surprise me. So he gets a crew out there, and they, sure enough, they pull up the pump at the bottom of our well. It's like 78 feet below ground. And pull it out, and sure enough, the pump was sitting on sand, and as it was drawing up water, it was pulling in sand from the bottom of the water table because the water table had shifted. So they moved this well three feet up. The pump moved it up three feet right into the middle of the water table, and we swapped other parts, and guess what? No more swamp people. No more swamp people. We have to be people who tend the well. In old times when they would hand dig a well, what would happen when they found water is they'd dig down, dig down, dig down, and it'd be super muddy water. And so what they would do then is they would dig down further. And then they would wall up the sides of the well and they would leave it. And they could draw fresh water. But then ever so often they would have to get into the bottom of the well and guess what? Tend the well. They'd have to dig it down a little bit further so the water would remain clear and fresh. Uh, we have to be people who cultivate the presence of God in our lives. And, it, and you have to understand that the water table will shift. You have to understand that you will have to tend the well of encountering the presence of God. That it requires an active participation um, in connecting and refreshing and, and managing and stewarding intimacy with Jesus. Um, 
I'm going to make a statement, right? Hear me out, okay? I think, and I told, I told Bash Chris this the other day. I said, I think it's going to be hard in coming seasons for Christians to know Jesus. I think it's going to be hard in coming seasons for Christians to know Jesus. Here's why. Familiarity breeds dishonor. Familiarity breeds dishonor. Church attendance will be confused for intimacy with Jesus. Church attendance will be confused for intimacy with Jesus. And here's, here's the truth. You and I were not made for events. We were created for relationship. Okay? And so we must be people who tend the well. Uh, Pastor Chris can't tend your well. Lorraine, she, she cannot tend your well. Your spouse cannot tend your well. You must tend your well. If you want the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you must tend to it. And it is nobody else's responsibility, and nobody else can do it for you. You can experience somebody else who is tending the well, but you'll be in the same room and experience two different things. I'm teaching our staff right now that, like, um, my greatest desire, right, is that we would be hosters of the presence of God. We'd be great hosts. But, but in order to do that, we have to tend the well. And so if, if we want people who are hurting and broken and just in despair to drive onto our campus and in a moment experience the presence of God, we've got to tend the well. We don't have three worship songs for them to experience the presence of God. They need it when they walk on our property. And that requires tending. It requires praying and fasting and giving and leading and bleeding and being in, in Scripture and in the presence and worshiping and creating a place where God just loves to be, tending the well, so that you can quickly access refreshment that comes from the Spirit. Tend the well, okay? Third one is this. Disciple-making. Disciple-making. Matthew 28, 18 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, I had a friend. His name's Josh. And... Um, we were working out one day, and he asked me this. He said, can you call yourself a Christian and not be discipling someone or being discipled by someone? I said, I don't know, man. I'm just trying to get another rep on this bench press. I'm not here for all that. But it started this conversation that, that is true. And, and the next generation, right, for those of you who are here under the age of 40, um, they've they've heighten the age requirements to be considered the next gen, so you're welcome. Um, I think lots of people think we have a next gen problem in the church when really we have a discipleship problem. So literally, if you look at the statistics, millions of, of quote unquote, the next generation are leaving the local church. And they're not leaving because we're asking too much. They're leaving because we're asking too little. They're not, they're not leaving because we expect too little of them. They're leaving. I'm, let me say that. We're not expecting too much of them. 
Jesus doesn't expect too much of them. We have lowered the standard and expected too little. And we have told them that, hey, come be a part of the church. And we've, we've set up a lot of events when they know they're made for relationship. And so discipleship, we, we have to come back to Matthew 28, 18. And so are you, like if, if we sat down right now and I said, hey, like who are you discipling? Could you fill in a couple names? Could you write down, I got a guy right now in my life, Stag. His name's Stag, and I, and I have lunch with him every Thursday. I'm going to eat lunch anyway. He's 24. He's trying to figure out Jesus and business, and I look forward to every Thursday. I don't know if he's getting anything out of it, but I'm loving it. <laughs> um, are you discipling someone? Because disciples make disciples. That's how it works. Like, Jesus doesn't say, hey, when you become a pastor, go make disciples. He just looks at everyday, ordinary people, and he's like, hey, this is what you're going to do with your life. You're going to teach people to obey what I've taught you, and you're, gonna lo- you're just going to love me and bring heaven to earth. That's what you're going to do. And just go do that over and over and over again. So make disciples. Um, and I'm not saying, look, uh, real simple, I'm not asking you to add more things to your calendar. I'm asking you to invite somebody into your calendar. Okay? I'm not asking you to add something to your calendar. I'm asking you to invite somebody into your calendar. Because next gen, other people, people who don't know the Lord as well as you or as long as you, they just want to see how to do loving Jesus and life. They want to get and they want, they want to watch you as dad play with your kids while you love Jesus. They want to be, we have a, we have a young lady right now in our home and she's like, let me know when I can come over. I'll, she comes over frequently to have dinner with us. And she's walking, like she has walked through hell, y'all. Um, just didn't ask for a situation and just chaos. And you know what she wants? She doesn't want us to solve the problem. She, she just wants to go like, you can live life in the met, midst of mess and still love Jesus. So just invite people into your calendar. Hey, come with me. I'm going to this business meeting. Let me, let me just model how to respond and love Jesus. Hey, you got to go negotiate this contract with a subcontractor. Let me just invite you into the process of negotiations from a Jesus kingdom perspective. Let me invite you into our marriage. Let me take you guys on date night with us. And, and like, don't have an agenda. Just talk about all the crap that you were going to talk about anyway. Lord knows you're not going to talk. You're going to talk about it in the car anyway. You might as well just duke it out in front of people. That way you got a good witness. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> invite people into your calendar. If you love Jesus, that's discipleship. If you really love him, like, Monday through Saturday, making disciples is really easy. It's just inviting people into the journey. Right? I have three friends. That my, our season right now is interesting. And, and I just told them, like, I, I want to be discipled. I want some people to pour into me and give me a different perspective. And so we meet at, like, like, this was our goal. Okay, please don't be offended by this statement. We were like, man, we want to be the young version of all the old guys that meet at McDonald's at 6 a.m. That's how it began. Not a cool, fancy vision statement. No, like, go take the hill. Just we want to be like the old guys. So that's literally what we do. And guess what? The first time we met, we meet at a grocery store 
with a Starbucks in it. And we sit there, and this is, this is like heartwarming. Like two gro- We're pretty grown men, mostly. <laughs> we're sitting there drinking our coffee, and we're trying to figure out how, like, okay, this guy's like, an, like a leader in his church. We've known, he's been following Jesus forever. I'm supposed to know what I'm doing when it comes to Jesus. And we're both sitting there like, how do we disciple one another? What does this look like? You know, we're having this conversation. And we're like trying to sort it out. And I kid you not, four very elderly gentlemen came and sat down at the table next to us. And we looked at each other and we just nodded because we had arrived. We had arrived. You know what we did? We just decided to open up and start with Romans 1. And you know what we do every week? We invited another friend of ours into it, and we talk about life. We talk about marriage. We talk about fears. We talk about Romans. We're trying to figure out how do you weave the grace of God into standards, having standards with people. Oh, messy. It's not easy, right? Discipleship. Okay, number four, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hurry through the rest of these, okay? And number four, uh, sacred and secular. That's just the phrase, and I'll unpack it. Um, one of these crazy dreams I had uh, a couple weeks ago, I had this dream that I was at a school, and I, I was there to help, like, get it running better. I, I don't know why they would invite me, um, but I've mostly been kicked out of schools my life, so being invited into one to help was just a new experience, even in a dream. I was like, this has got to be a dream. And I'm like talking to these teachers, and, and there's several of these teachers I could tell, like, in our conversation for some reason, like, I knew they loved Jesus. And this teacher comes up, and she asks me this question. She says, how do I tell people about Jesus here? And this is how I know it was a dream, because this next statement is so good. I would not come up with this while I was awake. I told her this, preach the gospel with your life so well that people ask you questions, and then know Jesus so well, the answers are easy. That's good. That must have been like deep, lucid dreaming, like deep sleep right there. Preach the gospel with your life so well that people ask you questions. But then know Jesus so well, the answers are easy. Right? And that's not a new statement. We, we've heard some form of that before, but it's just a good reminder that there, the Lord doesn't see a divide between sacred and secular. The Lord doesn't see what you do with your hands to pay your bills any different than what Chris or I do preaching the gospel every week. He, in fact, sees those two things as intricately linked. Um, the work that you do is the place that God has assigned you to. It's not your calling. Let me, let me say that again. The work and where you work is the place God has assigned you to but it is not your calling. Young people are freaking out right now because your identity is to know Jesus. Your calling is to know Jesus. The work you do is a part of your assignment. It's an overflow of your passions, your giftings, your wirings, your talents, the things that intrigue you, that make you mad, that keep you up at night. That's the place that God's sending you, but it's not your calling. Your calling is to know Jesus and make him known. And, and I had a friend who used to tell me, like, you can knit socks and love Jesus and change the world. Oh, okay, if you love Jesus and you love people, you can knit socks and change the world. It's so true because what you do is not your identity. It's not even your calling. It's your assignment. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Kaleo, the invitation, is the Greek, is an invitation that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. What is that calling? What have you been invited into? 1 John 3, verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called, invited into, to be children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Your greatest calling in your life is to know Jesus and love him with everything you have. Every place you set your foot is a place God wants the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning he assigns you to a job. You're a kingdom advancer. You're a territory taker. You're an outpost creator for the kingdom. And you find those places based on your curiosities and your wirings and your giftings. Um, There's no divide between what you do and who you are as a child of God. There's no divide. Um, I love Jesus and try to live from a place of sonship everywhere I go. And last week was a a fun week. Last week I got to sit down with entrepreneurs. Uh, I got to sit down with a real estate brokerage. I got to sit down with church staff members. I got to sit down with a lawyer, not because I was in trouble, just let me clarify. I got to be in executive offices. I got to sit down with a farmer, not like Uncle Joe, like raking, but like moving, shaking farmer, influencer, and have conversations about how to make money and do it well and treat employees correctly and love them from a kingdom perspective. You know what? I was in all of those rooms and conversations because I enjoy those. Like, I love helping people do things better. I love helping business people make more money because they're going to tithe by God. (laughs) But all of these things were centered around my passions to help people get better. And you know what? I showed up as a son. I showed up in those places as a son, loving Jesus, right? There's no divide between sacred and secular. The tasks that I did are not my calling, but they were done while I was living in my calling. You tracking with me? So sacred, secular. I think the next gen doesn't understand that we have a problem with that. They're they're shaking the world and all kinds of stuff. Uh, Number five, uh, worth, worth, worth. A low value of your worth or a low value of God's worth, both of those are at the root of a pursuit of God that does not exist. I'll say it again. A low value of your worth or a low value of his worth, both of those will be the root causes of a pursuit of God that does not exist. Let me unpack it. If you have a low view of his worth, then you will, you will live in such a way that God is not worth my pursuit. Giving my life to him is not that big of a deal because my life isn't valuable. Do you see how this starts to play out? A low estimation of your worth means like it's not a worthy gift to give to a king, so I'll just give him my Sundays. I won't give him everything. But if my life is valuable and I give it to him in surrender, in salvation, it means he's worthy of the sacrifice. 
if I truly understand the invitation into salvation is a death to self, and I have a low view of myself, then it's really not that big of a deal. But if I understand that like God created me in his image and for me to lay down my life, it's a worthy sacrifice. It is a gift to give that he gets joy and pleasure out of the surrender of our lives. If I understand that, oh, then I bring it. I give what I view as of high value. I give what I believe to be high value to obtain that which I also believe is high value. When you go shopping, you give up money to purchase an item. And in that exchange, what you're saying is, I value money. It has a value. It is worth something. And I deem this item to be worth what I'm willing to give. Like, I'm, I get frustrated with my kids because, like, right now they're in the want stage, right? Like, they don't understand. And I get frustrated. I have to, like, whew. Some, some of y'all are like, they don't outgrow that. They don't outgrow that. Keep behind me, Satan. I'm just kidding. In my mind, I'm thinking, though, like, I, I have to be real cautious because they're like, I want this stuffed animal. And I'm like, that takes me 1.75 hours to get for you. Do, you. do you understand? They're like, just buy me this stuffed animal. I'm like, that was two hours of my life. When you value, when you understand your worth, you, you think about how you do things differently. When you think about God's worth, you'll approach him differently. When you understand he's king of kings and lord of lords, that he is the uncreated one, that he stands outside of time, that all of heaven, that every tribe and tongue, and age, that every human who was ever born and ever made, ever created, will stand before him one day and give an account for their life. When you understand he's king, he's worth it all. Like nothing in my life is too great to not give him. He's worth it all. Worth. I think we have to get to a place where we, we begin to wrestle with and understand the worth of God. That he is worthy. He's worthy of our entire life. He's worth it. Right? Here's the last one. The band can come up. Uh, this is the last one that like, I've just been uh, challenged with. Lacey Clark Elman um, makes a quote, and, and here's the phrase, right, number six, thin spaces. Thin spaces. Lacey Clark Elman, she says this, a thin place is a location or moment in which our sense of the sacred is more pronounced, where the space between the transcendent and the commonplace is exceptionally narrow. Mark Batterson says this, the Celtic Christians refer to these kind of moments where heaven and earth seem to touch as thin places. Natural and supernatural worlds collide. Creation meets creator. Sin meets grace. Routine meets the wild goose. Celtic Christians refer to the Holy Spirit as the wild goose. Places in our lives where they meet the Holy Spirit one of these moments in scripture was uh, Exodus 3, verse 4, when Moses is tending his father-in-law's sheep. It says, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the burning bush, Moses, Moses. 
And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. We have to become men and women who cultivate thin spaces in our life. That we create places where the presence of God is rich. We have to be people who value presence. Um, I don't think the world is looking for a better political system. I don't even think the world is looking for more knowledge. I don't think they're looking for more understanding. I don't think they're looking for nice people. I don't think they're looking for movies without cuss words. They're looking for people who've been and who live face to face with God. They're looking and seeking and crying out for an experience with truth and power. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Thin places. Thin places, places where people encounter the presence of God. The early church exploded, right? It said that the Pharisees and the Sadducees looked at the disciples and they realized they were idiots but they had been with Jesus. What's the thin place in your life where you go to encounter the Lord? What's it look like? As we celebrate the ending of a world without Jesus and the beginning of our next season, my prayer is that we would live with expectation and hope that we would end to begin, that we would understand that Jesus' birth creates so much possibility. It gives us a mission gives us access to God and it gives us the power gives us the power of God in our everyday life. Don't miss Jesus. Tend the well. Make disciples. Sacred and secular are worth in thin spaces. Let me pray. Father God, we love you. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful for Destiny Church. I'm grateful for all that you've called them to and equipped them in this city. Father, I just pray that you would cultivate within them these six things. God, that we would be people who carry your presence well, who tend it well, who pursue it, Father, who carry it and set the table for others to encounter it. Lord, I just pray, God, in this new season for destiny, Father, that you would honor the work. God, the blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into reaching this city. I just pray favor, God, in this next season. I pray increase and upgrade. Lord, I just release a spirit of hospitality over your people. Gotta pray that you would continue to use this house, God, to reach this city. Because you, Father, coming to the earth as a child, God, it opened up the door for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, I pray that destiny, God, that we as individuals would be people who help bring heaven to earth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.